0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. This morning I was talking with my wife Lisa, and I was thinking about Emily and Anna, and I said, "Hun, there's nothing in my backpack on my back that's weighing me down when I think about these two sisters, not an ounce of trouble not an ounce of trouble. I think of freedom when I think of you and of you, the freedom of the gospel. It's a joy to work with you. Thank you for your leadership. No weight in my backpack with you two (laughs) at all. First words, uh, lamentation. So I was asked to speak about, what do you say to your children when they ask you questions like, why did that, why does God allow that to happen? In the context of pain and sorrow, how do you lead them? And as I was pondering that, I want to give you two texts, and pray, and then we'll we'll jump in. So, Lamentations three uh, is a poetic lament of the destruction of Jerusalem. It's horrible. It's horrible, and the poorest people are left in Jerusalem. Everybody else has been exiled. God has not taken away the pain of this. But in the middle of Lamentations, we read Lamentations 3, 21 to 26. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So this is really bad, but God is really merciful in the bad. And then Revelation 21, 3 and 4, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and, the de- and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Like, that's the heart of it. Son, daughter, this is really bad. Jesus is really merciful, and he's going to wipe away our tears one day. Well, that's it. Father, thank you that we can say it that clearly and that succinctly and believe it. it's true. Life In this culture, life in this land, life in this world is really bad. And you're really merciful. And your son is really merciful. And one day our tears will be wiped away. We'll see the face of your son. And we want our children there to experience that too. So see that done, please, in Jesus' name, amen. You have uh, two booklets. The orange one is, uh, we won't look at that this morning, but I think it's helpful. Somebody who knows how to work with children better than I do, especially with issues of counseling and ministering to their hearts. So take a look at that at another point. I put this booklet together for parents in general, just trying to uh, turn this conversation into a whole bunch of devotional guides. So to open it with me to page two. And this is a letter, not specifically to mothers, but to parents in general just regarding the hardness of this life. Jesus suffered and he promised that we would too. Maybe you are suffering now. Maybe you're suffering physically with a diagnosis of cancer. Or perhaps there's a weighty relational breach in your family. Perhaps a betrayal that has sown in your heart significant pain. Perhaps you are suffering because of someone else's sin against you. Perhaps you are suffering because a dear friend or family member is dying. Or has died. Maybe it was an unexpected death that caught you off guard or maybe you've been watching their life ebb away over time. Perhaps it was a miscarriage or the death of an older child and it's so hard when parents have to bury their children. Perhaps it is another situation that you find yourself in that God has called you to step into but it's hard. Your trust in him is being tested and this is a painful providence. In whatever path you walk, please know, fellow sufferer, that your father knows, your father sees, your father hears. Your father gives good gifts to his children during their suffering. He's with you, and he is your supreme reward as you turn in Jesus' name to him in prayer. Your sorrow is powerful to influence young hearts, for they are watching and listening. They are observers. May they see Bibles open and heads bowed. May they see honest countenances of joy and sadness. May they see hugs, both the glad kind and the broken kind. May they hear the name of Jesus spoken with warm affections as well as hearing hope filled words like mercy. May they learn the powerful and precious sound that blends songs of praise through cries with tears. And with your eyes on Christ during your particular adversity, which Father knows, point the young ones to the one you are watching. Your suffering is a gift to their souls. It calls them away from the fleeting pleasures of this world to the rock-solid truth of Father, Son, and Spirit. Dear friend, by grace, steward this season well. Point your children up and hold them close as you are held by a supremely powerful and faithful hand. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's true. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word near is precious. So show your children that. They're listening, they're watching. On page three is an index. You can ignore the top part, it's the bottom part I want to highlight. index of this booklet Desiring God Pastors Conference 2005 titled Suffering and the Sovereignty of God here's the theology of suffering so there are five points that John Piper made back then and I created five two-page devotional guides from those five points we're not going to go through that but this is it in fact these points are so significant I have them written in my bible and I use that hospital visits or whenever somebody is suffering it's really good then the second portion, the pain of death, a child's heart in family worship. So the 1st subpoint is a few guiding thoughts from people who understand how to work with kids. I think there's some helpful things there. And then, Mom, why does God allow bad things to happen? We'll touch on that just a little bit. And then, Alone with God as Parent. So in your sorrow, there's some devotional guides for you to commune with Christ. And then, Time with God as Family. This is a short little... Short, tiny, little devotional words for our children, in in their sorrow, and then at the end, providence. In John Piper's book uh, on providence, he deals a lot with God's providence and suffering. So I I got this book booklet done, uh, thinking about you and what I was wanted. To, I wanted to highlight, and about a and I had this done about two two and a half months ago, and about a month ago, I began to ponder. And if I could have redone this booklet, I would bring this to you, which I think is the most significant thing that I'm going to say. What if you said, what if Emily and Anna said, but you got 30 seconds to address this topic to the mothers. Could you do it? I think I could. So I'm going to do that in a minute, but I want to set it up first. I want to set it up. So when we think about our children, I first began pondering the children who ask us hard questions like dad, mom, why does God allow that to happen? Okay, well, as I reflect on my children during the earlier years, I don't think they ask that question. Some children do, not all of them do, but even if they're not asking the question, that doesn't get us off the hook. There's two other categories. The second category is they're unsettled in their heart, and you can tell. They are responding to a situation that doesn't match. Something's off. They're interpreting something, some circumstance. They're afraid to go to that birthday party. Why in the world would they be afraid to go to that birthday party? They're learning that this is a frightful world. This is a scary world. They don't want to be apart from you. I wish I had that category in my mind when my kids were young. I wish I did. That's the second one. I would say it's likely that all of our children are beginning to discern this is a scary world. Here's the third category. Sometimes our children just ask us or tell us straight up, I'm afraid. That's a gift that you can minister to them. So they ask you a hard question or they're responding. You can tell something's off in their heart. You're not really sure what. There's probably some fear down in there or they tell you they're afraid. So as I was pondering about these three categories... And what are some specific things that might prompt our children to be fearful in this life? Now, here are some very specific categories. One, they heard about a shooting at the mall. Now, you don't have to watch the news with them for them to hear that story. Another child maybe walking by somebody in main hall and they overhear it. Well, that's scary. And it's not a fantasy. It's real. It's real. It's like our backyard, the mall. Or there's a diagnosis of cancer in the family, and that happens all the time. Maybe not with young parents, very often, but with grandparents or great-grandparents or maybe an aunt or an uncle. A child beginning to navigate life thinking about, she might die, that's scary. Or a neighbor's house got broken into, I use that one because I was six years old and our neighbor's house got broken into, and she got shot. It was right next door. Why do I remember that so clearly? It was scary. It made an impact on me. That happens. Or they saw a troubling TV commercial or a billboard. Now, my wife and I, we we really, really enjoy football. Vikings, ah, Beth, I'm sorry. It's a bummer, but I don't, I don't like to have large group gatherings like for Super Bowl because of the commercials. Some of them are funny, and some of them are good, and some of them are not. Some of them are sexual. That might be troubling to a child, and some are just plain violent, like video games or these horrible movies. It would be frightening. A child might see that, and you say, well, I'm not going to let my child watch commercials well, they can see a billboard. I mean, it's all around. It's almost impossible to completely protect them. They're frightening. When I, when, I grew up, w- when I grew up, we didn't have computers then. Video games weren't even created. They had a black and white TV and I had 30 minutes of TV at night. I love Lucy. And the commercials were like Kellogg's Corn Flakes and Campbell's Soup, you know, that kind of thing. But I was still troubled as a young child because I saw this. Driving home one day in the car, I wasn't driving, my mom was driving, um, I saw a boy about 10 years old beating up another boy, right on the sidewalk. I'm protected, I'm not exposed to the things that your kids are exposed to, and I remember that like it was yesterday, it was frightening. Could that happen to me? Could a bully beat up me? That was scary, it was horrible. I can picture exactly what was happening right now in my mind, it made an impact on me, it's a scary world. Or the church is gathering to pray because of a terrorist attack. 9-11, it happened across the country. It turned up families upside down and church families. It turned the country upside down. It's impossible to protect our children from that. It happened. It probably will happen again to some degree. Or they hear about a war in another country. There's always a war in another country, and it's happening right now. In Russia and Ukraine. If they hear about it. And maybe they hear somebody say civilians are being killed. And they ask you, what's a civilian? That's scary. So that's just what came on the top of my mind. Why is it a frightening world? And how can it penetrate a child's heart? Now here's the 30 seconds. Here's the 30 seconds. You get down on your knees. You put your arm around your children. And you say gently. This is scary, isn't it? I know. Let's take it to Jesus. I'll say it again. You get down on your knees. You put your arms around your children. And you gently say, this is scary, isn't it? I know. Let's take it to Jesus. So you get down on your knees. You come alongside them. I love that word alongside. You come alongside them. It's not top down. And you put your arm around them or your arms around them. This is the physical expression of God's Christ's Father's mercy and tenderness and gentleness. Warm love. You are the physical expression of his mercy. Mercy ambassador, Sarah, that's exactly it. You get down on your knees, you put your arms around them, and you say gently, tone matters. Content matters, too. So you're bringing the hope of the gospel, that's a content, and your countenance Is mercy your 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 countenance, your tone, is kind and gentle, and you say this is scary, isn't it? I know, I know," says to them, "I also know what it's like to be afraid. This really is scary, son. This really is scary, daughter. It's so important for them to know that you know what it's like to be afraid in this life. And then where else are you going to go? Let's take it to Jesus. Let's take it to Jesus." That's it. That's the heart of it. Now, I'm, I'm gonna jump forward 20 years. Honestly, when I think about parenting and young children, I'm always thinking at least, least 10 years down the road. I'm gonna go 20 years down the road. Let's say your daughter is six. And now, 20 years later, she's 26. And I hope and pray that this doesn't happen, but it might, it really might. She's single. She's pregnant, and you don't know. Where is she going to take that pain? Where is she going to take that shame? She's going to take it to you, because for 20 years, you have opened up the door to all that's in her heart. And what are you going to do when that 26-year-old comes? You're going to get down on your knees. You're going to put your arm around your girl and gently say, this is scary, isn't it? I know. Let's take it to Jesus. It's not just for our young kids. It's for our adult kids, our sons and daughters. I just use that as an example. There's a trajectory of what you're laying down today. It will bear fruit 20 years from now. Now, I have more to say, but as I was thinking about it this morning, at this point, I thought the Lord might be pleased for us just to pause and give anybody the opportunity to respond in prayer. Just a moment of crying out to our Father in Jesus' name regarding these things. So I'll begin. I'm okay with silence for a while, but if it's in your heart to pray, do it, do it. So Father, I'll just pause. All these are my words. I'm just a man, but we we need you. We need you. We need your word of hope. You are Father of mercies and God of all comfort, and we know you love our children because we see Jesus welcoming them, and he's so merciful and kind. And these are weighty things to think about, not only as a six-year-old son or daughter, but a 26-year-old. So we can't even pray without you, but we have you. So help us pray right now. I ask this in faith in Jesus' name. Father, you, you are near to the brokenhearted and you save the crushed in spirit. We know that personally, and our children will learn that in this life. But may your nearness and your son's shepherd care and his holding on to souls be a greater reality to them than the scariness of this life. And and we do ask that you would use these mothers as primary means by the Spirit to draw them to Jesus so that when we sit down at the table of our King, they will be there too and their tears will be wiped away, along with ours, and all will be well forevermore. We want to pray all the way up into glory. All these sons, all these daughters, these souls, these images made like you, they're designed, Father, meant to delight in your Son, to be satisfied in him, to see him, to long to see him. Do that good work in their hearts, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, page 26. What I'd like to do in these few pages, so I thought about, I'm really emphasizing truth. I don't have answers to all our questions, but I can look through the storm clouds and anchor on what's true. So I want to emphasize what's true. So at the top, parents, a clear, succinct, and honest question from our children calls for a clear succinct and honest response from us. I do, I believe that. We do not need to provide all we know about the question or answer in one sitting, but we do need to tell the truth, I think, using few words, sweetened by a countenance of grateful hope that is obvious to our children, alongside an emphasis on our living Lord, Jesus Christ, that is evident to them. Then we will have loved them in truth and in an understanding way, Having offered the Spirit of God our fishes and loaves, that he would multiply in young hearts for their good, our joy, and God's glory. Jump down to the first bold word statement, truth. Here's the first of four. Truth. Tell the truth about death and pain. This hurts, doesn't it? I know it hurts me too. If I could summarize this section, i just use the word identify. Identify with them. It's hard. It's scary. I miss Grandpa too. I miss him so much that's you telling, you're opening up your heart to your son or your daughter. It makes me sad too, when I think about those children who are shot and their parents who missed them, that family who was killed in the tornado, those two countries who are at war, the cancer I have. I get afraid too sometimes when I think about what could happen. Just honesty. Give the spirit of truth the truth and watch him work in the hearts of our children. First, it is an expression of honesty to tell the truth to our children about our sorrow and fear. Shared sorrow helps stir up shared love and shared hope. In other words, we are sparing them from being alone in their sadness and fear, in their trouble and anxiety as we identify with them and theirs. Oh, I got a big circle around that. That's a significant point. We don't want them to suffer alone. Second, we are training them to not be ashamed of their feelings nor be isolated in them. We are showing them that the door is open and this is what the future looks like in our relationship with them. We will engage deeply and with honesty the hard things of life. This is true when they are 6 years old and 26 years old. The trajectory of honesty and shared sorrow will, Lord willing, be a stabilizing reality for our sons and daughters. Additionally, this will help us avoid the tendency that some adults choose to go it alone. There is blessing for the child as well as blessing for the parent in honest conversation. God meets us as we are together, looking to him in Jesus' name. A few weeks ago, I think, or months ago, Carolyn Jones came and spoke. Dear sister, she, she highly commends family gatherings that are different from devotion, family worship. Family gatherings are once a week, meet with your children. This is a a safe time where you can share uh, whatever's on your heart back and forth, where you can reflect on what's happened this last week. Maybe some things need to be changed or corrected. That's fine. It's a safe place to talk about it. It's also a safe place to be honest about what's scary. Now, if you did that, with your four and six-year-old, they're going to be 14 and 16 before you know it. And it gets scarier as they get older. And you're cultivating this conversation, this safe place with mom and dad. That's powerful. Thinking 10 years down the road, 10 years down the road. Okay, page 27, the second truth. Tell the truth about God and his character, who he is. God the Father is good. God the Father is wise and he always knows what to do. God the Father is loving and he never leaves his children. I do not know all that God is doing in this hard thing, son, daughter, but he is powerful, good and wise and and merciful, but he always works to show us his glory, who he is, but his authority as God rules over everything that happens. He is displaying his glory in all that is good. He's making known his glory through all that is bad. How, mom? How, dad? I don't really know. But it's true. It's happening right now. And I'm learning how to to trust in him. Trust him in this. His word, the Bible, is true and it helps me. We want our children to know that we are learning to trust in him. We haven't learned it. We'll be learning this for the rest of our days. So we come alongside. It's a shared learning. This is what I'm learning about God and how to pray for you too. Daughter, son, God strengthens me. He helps me during my sorrow. God's son was sorrowful. He understands pain. God's love is steadfast when he allows suffering. God is good, wise, and powerful. We can cry to him while resting in his care. God lasts forever. He never changes. That's theology applied to a short little moment. First, we need to, I'll just read the the bold part part here. First, we need to see the necessary connection between who God is and our hope and confidence in him during our tears. In other words, we tell our children, uh, we need to trust in the Lord. He is faithful. He is merciful. But we can't promise he's going to take away the pain. Somebody whom we love has died. You're going to live with that pain for the rest of your life. So we have to have a category in our mind of the faithfulness of our Father, the presence of Jesus our shepherd, during our trouble. And they need to get that. Number two, down below, there is no substitute for our own growth in knowing God and in trusting what we know, trusting who we know. What we are feeding on will come out when the heat is turned up. There are seasons and moments in life that are usually not in our calendar, not scheduled. When the heat flames up hot and unexpectedly, when Jesus addressed our hearts in Luke 7, where he said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, we can apply to what he said to this topic. Hearts that have been taking in truth about God will spring up the fruit of truth during tears, sorrow, and grief. Our children need to see what it looks like and sounds like to hope in God resolutely and truthfully during our tears. So we prepare them for tomorrow's trouble by teaching them the truth and character of God today. And then finally, page 28, I'll end on this. Truth, and then page 29 is kind of a summary statement. Really good stuff there. You can look at that another time. Truth, Jesus knows pain and death, and he is alive. He helps us. Jesus was tempted not to trust his father, but he did not give in and kept on trusting his father. That's the garden experience. He didn't want to face the father's wrath. I think one of the accounts said he is troubled unto death, my soul is troubled to death. But he pressed through. We can be glad he did. Jesus understands our trouble, for he is troubled here on earth as he was preparing to go to the cross. His servant, John the Baptist, was killed. Jesus knows loss. His good friend Lazarus died. He knows the pain of death. His good friend Peter denied him. Jesus knows that pain, a friend's denial. His disciple Judas betrayed him. Jesus knows that pain too. He suffered greatly before the cross and on the cross. Then he died. Jesus knows death, but he also knows life. He is alive. And because he knows what it is like, he can help. He wants to help. He does help. He is helping you, moms, sisters. He is helping, and he will continue to help. First, we must trust the authority of God's word and the teaching presence and power of the Spirit in our children's hearts. I'll just pause. There are times when I'm with my granddaughters or a child here, and I don't know what to say. I'm like you. I don't know what to say. But I do know that the Spirit uses the word of God. So I might say, like, I might summarize something. Like, oh, Jesus sure loves you. And in my mind, I'm saying, Spirit, I'm just a man. I can't touch this heart, but you can. Take this statement and press it down. Or maybe it's a Bible verse in the heart. Uh, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. I just quote that. Trusting the Spirit to tend to the heart of my daughter or my son, in your case. The The Holy Spirit is on the move when you feel like you're all thumbs with your children's hearts. It honors God and serves our children for us to read God's word to them in faith. Hebrews 2, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He can help you. He knows what it's like to be tempted to be anxious and to run away and cultivate fear in the heart. He came to his father in prayer. Or Hebrews 4, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He never sinned. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And pray that truth upon our children's hearts. Down below that second, if I could give you just one point of application, just one, 30 seconds turn into five seconds, I would summarize it in a name, Jesus. That's it, Jesus. Get Jesus in your hearts, sisters, with increasing measure. Abide in him while recalling to mind the hope and comfort of his good news. The sheep run to their shepherd when it goes hard, and it will go hard in small measure or in great measure in our lives and in our children's lives. May our instinct personally and our leadership instinct in our home with our children be Jesus. Get down on your knees, put your arms around your children, gently say, this is scary, isn't it? I know, let's take it to Jesus. That's it. To close, the Bible teaches that Jesus has great compassion for us and is with us when we suffer. More than that, he entered into human suffering to bear our worst griefs for us. Even more, he redeems what suffering remains and uses it to work good in our lives and bring glory to God. Most of all, he always gives us himself and his love, no matter what we may suffer. And one day he will end our suffering forever. None of this makes suffering easy at the moment, but it does mean that our pain is accompanied by faith, not hopelessness. Remember when the shepherds, after they saw Jesus, uh, Luke 2, they returned, glorifying God, praising God for all that they had heard and seen. They returned to their place of work, to their home. Herod was still king. Bad things are happening. Rome is still ruling. Their trouble is not over. But they had seen the son. They saw him. And in the context of their scary world and scary culture, they were filled with praise and glory. Glorifying God, praising God with thanksgiving. And they were speaking about what they saw. So you get to be speakers. You get to go home today. And you get to point children to the sun. I want to pray for that right now. Father, I know my sisters have been speaking to your to their children about your son. I know it. Thank you. I ask for more, more pointing to Jesus, more of an instinct to run to Jesus. And even when they don't know what to do, may they speak your son's name. May they speak words like mercy and grace and love and faithfulness. And just trust the truth of those words into the hands of the spirit that he would take it and press it down in their hearts and their children's hearts. May these homes be good news homes. May these homes be gospel homes. May these sisters be good news mothers, hope-filled mothers, even when there are tears. And may they be very glad to identify with their children in their fear because they know what it's like to be afraid, but they know what it's like to sit underneath your countenance of favor, your love, and to be held by Jesus And nothing today or nothing to come can separate them from the love, your love that's set upon them in Christ. And we're asking that their children, their daughters, their sons would learn that too. May they learn that too. Nothing can separate them from your love. So may they come to Jesus and trust in him and be satisfied in him. Take their trembling hearts and run up to the one who is supreme in peace and rest there and even when it's hard, and one day all will be well. We will experience shalom together in the fullest way, and will never go away. It will always be that way. We believe, Father, we believe that one day there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more death, there'll no be no more sorrow, no more sickness. But we can't comprehend that life. I can't. I believe it will happen. I cannot comprehend that life. It's coming. It's coming. We want our children there. Full, full hearts, delighting in your son, filled up with the joy of your son, delighting in his presence that will forever expand like a balloon that's filled up, never popping, always getting fuller and fuller. And I I would ask uh, that you would cause your face to shine upon the marriages in this room. Surround these homes as the mountains surround Jerusalem.